You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. of those seen in fantasy settings proceeds to slaughter any in their path. Tokyo's skies are filled with mounted dragons firing down upon innocent bystanders as a ground force kills with ferocity. Among the chaos, a military reservist named Itami Yoji rescues some of the civilians as the Japan Special Defense Forces proceed to repel the invading army thanks to their superior weapons. Skip ahead three months, and the Japanese government is sending a special recon group in through the portal dubbed The Gate to set up a forward base of operations on this new world. Its purpose to seek reparations for those responsible for the attack, to make peace with the inhabitants of the world, and of course to see if there are any useful resources there. Based on a series of Japanese fantasy novels written by Takumi Yane, Gate has been rewritten and expanded upon, has been released as several manga, and finally has been turned into an anime series whose first half of the first season has just wrapped up, the second half of the season not due to begin until mid-January of next year. This has many people fairly disappointed as they've grown attached to these characters already, and I'm really curious if you're among those. I am. You are. Because despite the show's flaws, which I know we'll touch on. (laughs) Really, you don't say. (laughs) I like the story and I like the characters. Okay. I will go so far as to say, I don't know if I'm going to be watching in January. I I don't know if I will either. (laughs) But I I have to admit, I'm curious to see how the story plays out. The thing with me is that this show does a lot of things really, really well really well and it takes a premise while not entirely original of what would happen if there was a war between Tolkien-esque based fantasy versus modern military might and how the two would integrate now there's a lot that is written between the lines and the more I read about the original writer and his views on the military, his views on everyone who's not Japanese and things like that. Mm. It comes across when you're watching the show as well. So there's a lot of things that I can see the political slant of the writer behind. And I'm okay with that within reason. Right. That doesn't bother me as much as the rest of the crap that yes, we will deal with later on. But then there's so many things that are done well. For one part, the story is incredibly fluid. It Mm -hmm. works very well. A lot of times you're watching an anime and you can see the breaks. You can see how a group of writers got together in a room and said, okay, what are we doing next episode? And plan that. Yes, there's an overarching story, but it's still fairly reserved in terms of we need to tell a story point A to B in this half hour, right. 20 minutes. Because I remember watching it, there was no good stopping point. <laughs> it, there really wasn't. 
the story is incredibly fluid in how it progresses and fluid in terms of it also uses it uses its own story elements and the characters to propel the story forward. As an example, the battle at Italica would not have happened, or I should say the, the, the army, the S, uh, JSDF, would not have been present there were it not for the fact that they were working with the refugees to go and sell off the dragon mm-hmm. scales. Something as simple, a throwaway of all of the, the dragons that were massacred in that first um, show of force. Well, the second one, once they were through the gate and you have the character saying, Hey, we can sell off those things. And then that helps them be independent and not have to rely on the, the Japanese special force. So something as simple as that led to a massive battle led to the meeting with Pina Colada, whose Tinder also says she enjoys long walks on the beach and getting caught in the rain. Um, so there's a, it, <laughs> there's a lot of things like that throughout that I really liked. And then I, I do like the characters. However, what I don't like is the obvious misogynistic bullshit that is throughout and the horrifying sexualization of children things. So those are things yeah. that I cannot support. And I would have stopped watching this were it not for the fact that we were talking about this first half for this episode. I would have stopped as soon as <laughs> the first signs of that came up. I went, nope, because I refuse to support that. Yeah, the, the battle at Italica at the same time was one of the most like gripping action scenes in the series and also its lowest point as far as portrayal of its characters. It, I'm it's, trying to think if there was anything it, even before that. It, there were there were hints of it, but you know that's when uh, Rory was experiencing oh, yeah, 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 the, that's, the yeah. fallen soldiers, yep. and it was like that, that was when I was like, it was such a huge shift in the tone for that character and for the series. That's when like I immediately knew that the series was going down a bad path because yeah, there was like some small jokes and stuff like, okay, the elf is naked. You know, that's, that's just kind of like a story trope. Like I can get over that. And, you know, they put clothes on her right away. So it's not like she was just running around naked all the time. It, it was, you know, like some funny, like eh, I can, I can get around some of that stuff. But that scene was when I was like, what, what the hell? You're right. Are you and doing? that is exactly the point where I, I almost stopped watching just by reflex. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's one of those things where I know I have to keep watching for this. It's a I scene I was glad I was wearing headphones for. Oh, God, yeah. I <laughs> There were a few scenes where I was watching it because I was watching it on my computer most of the time. And I kind of stopped because <laughs> I don't face the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> I never know when anybody's going to be walking by. And the last thing I want is to have to explain to my wife. My my son knows. Like he's, we've watched some shows together. And as soon as that shit happens, he's of the same opinion as me, which is nice to see in a teenage boy. And it's like, no, nah, I don't have the patience for that kind of stupidity. And we'll just stop watching. But I really don't want my wife going, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> is this getting you off? And it's like, no, it's for a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, the, like you're saying that the stupidity of. I get the feeling one of these days, I'm going to get a stern email from your wife. Yeah, really? What, what are, are things you I make you watch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm blaming it on you. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, 
the stupidity between Itami, the main character, and his right-hand man and driver, who's also a, a fan of anime, over-the-top fan of anime, their little stupidity, I can deal with. I, yeah, it was I, funny. I, it it's, was charming. It's, it's, it's basically, it's harmless, and it's idiots being idiots. And I'm all right with that, because at no point are they, like, really being blatantly demeaning and everything is like just no i want to mean yeah. a girl with I, eat I cat ears. Cat girl. Hey, yeah. here's a cat girl like it, it makes sense so it's like one of those okay i can get behind this 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 is a quirk a japanese quirk that i'm okay with and it's not just japanese quirks i'm sure we would find a lot of those people around the world but that i'm all right but the uh and and when it was the the the, the elf in the van and they're like, okay, we need to take our clothes off. I'm going all oh, for crying out loud already. Seriously. And, and you're right. They, they kind of cut away from that and she's covered initially kind of thing. But that scene at Italica where she's having a freaking nonstop orgasm was when I, like I said, it was almost a, a, a just a reflex for me to say, nope, clocking out here. And I'm glad I stuck it through because again, there were moments uh, throughout afterwards that were spectacular. And there were moments afterwards that really showed a strength of character for each of the characters at different times that I really enjoyed. But mm-hmm. it was one of those, you guys were so close. You were so close to doing something truly spectacular. And the argument that, oh, it's Japanese anime, you got to deal with it, or you know what, get over it, it's not a big deal. I keep going back to the a misogynistic bullshit like that doesn't belong in anything, but especially that sexualization of children bothers me immensely because for anybody who hasn't watched the show, we're going to get into more again, the, the, the storyline and talk about that. But just to say the character in question is Rory Mercury. Now she's become a fan favorite and for good reason, some ways, because she's just aside like, from those few scenes, she's, she's a, a great character. Character, and she is an old demigod. She's nine hundred and sixty-one years old. However, she became a demigod while she was still a child, and so she still looks like a child, but in typical anime fashion, dresses like a whore as well. Not as bad as Kill a Kill, nowhere near that. Yeah. But it's still like. It's still enough that they constantly bring up the fact that this is her quote-unquote formal apostle wear, which is basically gothic Lolita fashion. And so the problem becomes that much like our discussion on our gaming podcast where we talked about the bikini-clad sniper in the new Metal Gear Solid game and how director Hideo Kojima basically just created some stupid bullshit to justify the fact that it's a woman in a bikini throughout the the game. And that's what happens here too. It's basically they wanted the little girl trope, Mm -hmm. sexualized trope in their, their show and basically have found a way to explain it because they could have had, again, yes, she's stuck in a little body and, Yes, she is demeaning to anybody who de- who tries to act like they're the adult in the room kind of thing and things like that. And she's kick-ass and she's murderous and you name it, whatever. But it's once you toss in that sexual aspect and you can't – that's the line. And that's a line like so many people don't 
get. And, and you can tell I'm getting a little bit ranty about it because <laughs> I quite literally was having this discussion, but as it pertains to games yesterday. And because we were talking about a new game that's going to be coming out where, again, one of the quote unquote races you can play is these little girls that are 11, maybe 12 years old, but with like garters and high heels and stockings and panty shots. And I'm arguing the sexualization of children is wrong and people are arguing back people who are adults not just teenage boys who don't have the intelligence to know better yet although they should but that's besides the point but adults men women parents and i'm like are you fucking kidding me it's not right and it should not be accepted it's just not right it doesn't matter what medium it's in and so I'm watching this coincidentally at the same time as I've been having this <laughs> argument. And it's like, oh, this is not good. I, I, I'm I, in full-on freaking rage at anybody stupid enough to think that this is all right. And there are scenes in here where she's trying to seduce Itami, who for the most part has been good about not even kind of letting on that he would really like to. Mm-hmm. But then you get the scene where he's about to grab her ass and they're about to, to, to do it. And you're like, God damn it. What is wrong with you people? You know, did you see this kind of shit on Attack on Titan? No, <laughs> you don't need this for your show to be successful. over the last few years, it's become apparent that Attack on Titan is the exception. Exactly. But what, the, what, but what I'm saying here in Gate and Kill la Kill and any number of quote mature animes, sadly, this is the standard that Japan has set for the medium. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's the argument that it's that's what everybody's doing and that's what you need to do. I keep going back to Attack on Titan and saying, look at the success of this series. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the similarities between them, you know, the forces fighting this insurmountable uh, attacking force and the military aspects to it, all of that stuff, the political backstabbing, everything is gripping, fantastic. And you have these great interpersonal relationships as well between soldiers and everything else. You don't need this kind of stupidity for your anime to be successful. True. But uh, just like in the American movie industry, game industry, they think they do. Yeah. And it's not until you get something that rises above what's deemed to the standard and is successful that – and even then, like Attack even on then. Titan, it's, it's, it's special. Like it hasn't been replicated. Just like you know, any – the few games or movies that really nail everything, nobody really tries to reach those lofty aspirations. They're happy – just taking the easy way out and making their millions. I don't think even it's just that they're taking the easy way out. But quite frankly, when it comes to something like this, it's like you guys are actually into this. And that's what oh, we that, need to change. That's part of it too. Yes. We need to change that mentality. It's, it's, I don't get this worked up about, and I don't want to say just, but in this case, I will just misogynistic themes and different things in movies and games. I get upset about it and I think it's ridiculous and it has to stop, but it's when it gets to the sexualization of children that I lose my shit. And I just, I freaking hate that. And I, 
What's more disappointing is not the fact that it exists, but that so many, some would think reasonably intelligent people defend it. And that's when I get mad. That's when it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I made the mistake of reading the comments on some of these episodes. Oh, I, I read a few I, of them. I was like, no, that's it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What's worse for me is I was having discussions. Curiosity gets the better of me. Oh, yeah. and my opinion of humanity is always pays for it. Correct. Yeah. No, this me it was conversations with people I know. And I was like, oh, my God. And I say, no, I know online kind of thing. It's like, oh, my God, people. Anyways, again, we're going to talk about it because, again, there are things that are good about it. There are things that I quite enjoyed and some of the characters I truly enjoyed as well. The story, like I said, revolves around this gate that appears in Tokyo's Ginza district. And you have this Tolkien-esque based fantasy army that comes through and you got flying dragons. Dragons, mounted dragons flying around Tokyo freaking looked awesome. <laughs> like as a, an aesthetic, <laughs> it was imposing and looked cool. And for a moment you're thinking, oh, Tokyo's about to get fucked up. <laughs> yeah. But then their army arrives. <laughs> and it's you realize. something that we very rarely see because typically in this sort of scenario, it's the fantasy army that wins yeah. over the like, oh, the 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 traditional modern military just can't think, you know, that outside the box of how to defeat this force. When it really is like, no, bullets win. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're bringing a dragon to a tank fight. <laughs> It's not going to work. And the writer of the original series, Takumi Yane, he actually was a former member of the Japan Special Defense Force. Hmm. So you can see how his slant is that they are the right ones. They're in the right. They are a very powerful force as well. And it, as it pertains to this story, that works because they go through the portal. And I like how... I like how the storytelling was done, shifting scenes and things like that, where you're really seeing the weight of actually what is happening. A lot mm -hmm. of times you'll see these kind of things, and sometimes there'll be the, the, the obvious gory violence and whatnot. But this really went far towards showing the inhumanity of what was happening, and, and, it, and it was graphic without, without being gratuitous. I mean, even right. when you see... Um, yeah, the guy the, gets his arm and king. leg blown off. Yeah, you don't really, you know, you don't see, you know, that much blood. Like, you know, they they kind of shade it out, and, and that like you know something terrible happened, but they don't really make you dwell on it. Exactly, and it and it does still have the impact that's required. So I like that, and then I really liked how for each of the battles as well, you're getting the body count, mm -hmm. and so there's that gravity at the end of holy crap, like an entire. You know, 10,000 yeah, yeah. gone. So so when they go through and they're setting up their forward base of operation on Alnus Hill, of course, there's already the army waiting there to, that's defending the gate. And I, I think they said, what, 100,000 people? Or Something along suddenly, those lines, yeah. It was yeah. massive. And, of course, all they use is some freaking mortar shells in there from the tanks or whatever it was from. And it's just kaboom, they're gone. It's that simple, pretty much. And there's some, I don't even remember if there were shots fired from that one. I think it was just the, the <laughs> there were a couple arrows. <laughs> yeah, really. And that was it. So, and then you start getting more of the, the, the story of what's going on on that world as well, because you have 
the, the there's kind of two factions. You have the special regions got an emperor and then for, for the, the empire, and then you have a kingdom as well. And you have the guy, the emperor, that's Molt. He is actually backstabbing to get rid of as many of the other mm-hmm. inhabitants of the, that world as he can so that he can control even more land. And so instead of sending his forces, more of his forces, to what he knows is a losing fight, he instead convinces the allied forces that are with the king of Elby to go out. And that's when you get a lot of, not just with the scenes with him, but when they're actually planning out what they're going to do, how they're going to attack the forces and whatnot, and especially with Duran, the king of Elby, you really get that, that understanding of the old style um, manner in which the wars were fought mm-hmm. and strategies and things like that, which is akin to our own things if you look back at old Greek wars and whatnot. So I, I found that super interesting. That's that's what I loved most about this series because with the SDF coming to you know, the special area, did they ever give the world a name other than the special area? Uh, they didn't. Uh, okay. Um, you have this overwhelming, insurmountable force and seeing how that completely tips the scales of the balance of political power between the nations, like that was fascinating to me every time it came up and and, and how the arrival of a force like that just really – you know, how people react to it, you know, how, who tries to make allies, who tries to make enemies. Like they, again, they were so close to this being amazing. Well, especially when you introduce Pina Colada, because that's Molt's And daughter. you have to say her full name. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it can't you just do. be Pina. No, it can't. No, it's Pina Colada. And, uh, most ridiculous name ever in a, I don't think I've ever heard I an the first anime. time they said it. I was like, Did, no, I must've. Nope. It's Pina Colada. So, you know, now somebody's going to name their child Pina Colada. <laughs> Somewhere in Japan, there was a child born recently named Pina Colada. <laughs> and their parents did a lot of drugs. Um, the, the, the stuff with Pina is that she's the daughter of Molt. And you get more about her later on as well. It, and... I was initially like she walks in and of course breastplate opened up short skirt and I'm thinking oh, here's another freaking mm-hmm. trope but man that character's got I was going to say got legs but that's inappropriate considering the last <laughs> statement but she just her story propels forward and especially when you get the flashback where you mm-hmm. find out about when she was young it's like holy crap this is a great character this is going to be fun because here's a character that eventually goes against her father like does not agree with what he's doing and she's working with the the empire or not the empire but the the kingdoms instead to work with the japanese forces to for for peace so again you got like holy crap we got fantastic story elements here to work with until later on she tells her right-hand woman to sleep with him because she dishonored him and i'm going that that's a, that's a story or not a story point but that's a tactic that comes up far too frequently yes. in this show yes <laughs> with, with them with um what's her name the dark elf, the dark the elf, the elf. Like, and they kept like repeating that oh, like yeah. that was <laughs> that was her mission go go screw some green people and get this dragon off of us <laughs> like Come on. Which again leads me right back to this is a fantasy that the writer has that 
that's why it's in there that much. And I'm like, God damn it. Grow the fuck up. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, uh, anyways, the character of um, Itami, he's, he's, he's the goofball that has... If it's also if, a complete badass. Yeah. And it's it, it's that idea of the slacker just keeps getting promoted. Yes. <laughs> That's what this uh, this guy and he makes it clear from the get-go a job is just meant to help him propel his hobby forward and his hobby is the anime and manga and stuff like that. He really doesn't care about his job at all. Meanwhile, because of that, he's not only become special forces, but also part of their ranger <laughs> group, <laughs> and it, which and, is uh, no yeah. end of hilarity when... Kurabayashi and her constant yes. <laughs> reactions. Like, <laughs> I love it. And see, there's a character that, with the exception of the bath scenes, which two is too many, okay? <laughs> Like, but I, I've come to accept every anime has one, you know. No, just follow me out here. A Ugh. beach episode or a hot springs episode. It's it's just a thing, and but it's a matter of how bad is it. And this this show was bad. Yeah, but you get scenes with her that you see that as a soldier in that team, that recon team, she actually has no equal. She is again. A I fucking flashback bad. to the Italica episode. That's she, what I'm saying. Try your charges in with her bayonet. Like she was awesome. She was freaking badass. But you, you, you saw it beforehand as well. Oh, sure. It wasn't like the the writers just said, "Okay, we need her to be badass in this episode," and just to set this up. No, no. Throughout the character is fierce in battle, not afraid to go in against freaking fire dragons everything and is really good and so when you get to the scene where she loses it at the battle of italica and just dives in and starts killing all these people not only is it believable but it's actually a moment that you're like cheering for Mm -hmm. and when rory finally gets out of her orgasmic state and goes on a murderous rampage and they're like back to back and you get that respect for each other's murderous rampaging abilities kind of thing. And like, we're not putting up with this crap and you get them. And it's the men soldiers who are like, just back them up. Don't let anybody mm-hmm. get close to them or, or take them out. Just let them do their thing. And I'm going this, this is what this show could have been. The entire thing could have been this fucking good. And you had to screw it up by putting her in an orgasmic state beforehand. And it's like, God. And that's the other thing with that character of Rory too, as much as I, I like some of what the character is by making her as powerful as she is. Anytime there's a conflict, you're saying, why don't they just send her in? She can quite literally take out that entire fucking army and have fun doing it. So why not just let her do it? So there's too many moments like that where I, it takes me out of the story simply because you really don't need anybody else. She can do it all. Well, I, I, I'm hoping this is something that's going to come up later on if I choose to watch it. But the fact that she's so chaotic and fickle as well, you know, they, they can't send her in. It's she has will she go in? Yeah. yeah <laughs> so it's, but, it's not like they're giving her orders. And just, if she's there, great. If not, we need a plan. I don't think that they say that enough. I know no. what you're saying. And that's what it comes across as kind of. But they don't make that clear enough that, that that's what you, you see. And... And that's, that's not good. So 
before they even got to this to, to the Battle of Italica, they were actually sent out to basically again you have Itami went out with his crew to just peacekeeping mission, go visit some of the nearby villages, basically make nice with people. And they see a a fire and it's a, a settlement that's being taken down. By the time they get there, I'm trying to remember if they actually saw the dragon. Yes, they did. They saw the dragon mm-hmm. burning it down. By the time they got there, it's, of course, burnt right down to the ground. But they find the first character of importance here, and that is Tuka, who is the elf who is in the well. So he goes down, Itami, of course, and rescues her and brings her up. And then they go back to the prior village that they'd been at, Koda, and inform them of the dragon. They decide they need to evacuate. And that's where you get them helping everybody to evacuate this little village and get away. And eventually they meet up with the fire dragon yet again. And you have that insane freaking battle. And yet again, because we've already seen a few battles and we know how brutal the battles are and that it doesn't matter if you're man, woman or child, you, you, you might get slaughtered. When this dragon starts taking out people, you are you are actually invested a little bit more because of the reality of the situation and that nobody is safe. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually a little surprised. I was like, wow, I, I didn't think they were you know, going to go so far as the dragon starts burning down the convoy before Itami can act. Like, I actually give them some respect for going yeah. that far because it made it realistic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Not, not that I want to see townspeople burnt to a crisp, but for the purposes of the story, it was exactly what it needed. Well, and see, this is where, I, again, you can have something that's brutal mm-hmm. and realistic and that and that does affect children as well. And here you see a lot of the children orphaned as well. And they, they don't dwell too much on the parents who've lost their kids, but you, you kind of see what's happening. But those kind of things are brutal, heart-wrenching, terrible things. You can put it in your story and pay respect to it as well without it being a sleazy ploy. And that's what I, I really liked about this. They, they did do a, a good job. Mm-hmm. So, no, go ahead. This- Fire Dragon scene also gave me one of my favorite lines on the entire show where they're charging into battle and they're like, okay, guys, this is a giant monster. This is what the JSDF does best. Of course, referencing all the times the Japanese Special Defense Force fought Godzilla yeah. in the movies. And of course, that is something Atami would say because he's a giant nerd. Yeah. The the thing with him being that that kind of nerd as well and having a buddy that he can bounce that off of, another reason why I found that it fit is that He's actually, because of his obsession with these tropes, the best person for the job Mm -hmm. because he's going into a world where there are dragons and elves and magic and all this stuff. So it makes sense to send the nerd in to go and take care of this. So in those regards, it really worked well. And I liked that while it was the military's might that took it down, not entirely, but enough so that it took off. It was actually the elf who's like, shoot it in the eye, you, you idiots. idiots. <laughs> Everything else is armored. The eye. I mean, there's there's already a, an arrow sticking out of the other one. You can see what you should be doing here. And and that's how they take it down. So again, there's there's all these elements where 
Gender doesn't matter. It doesn't just have to be the Japanese force that's that are the badasses that come up with the best plans. Hell, sometimes they just fall into the best plans. But no, it's the the, the inhabitants of that world that are actually saving their asses a lot of times too. Because had it not been for her and had they not done that, that dragon wasn't going anywhere and they were about to get fried. Mm-hmm. So at this point, now that the dragon has been sent off, essentially flies off, missing an arm. It is, they're, they're sending off the rest of the convoy to go and basically set up somewhere else themselves. And well, actually the convoy says we got it from here essentially. Mm-hmm. And they head back to Alnus Hill and now they've got some refugees with them. So they've got the, the main three women girls that are accompanying them everywhere. You have Rory, who meets up with them just before the the dragon scene and, and again uncomfortable stupid situation where she's grinding her ass on his mm-hmm. crotch you've got Tuka the the elf who's actually 165 years old but in her people terms she's basically a teenager as well and you have Lalay who is she's just a 15 year old little girl but she's a fairly powerful magic wielder but she's like a very super serious intelligent character who is grossly underused in the story they basically use her as a translator instead of using her as a military might like the the force that she has and you see how powerful she is later on that's one of the things that i i'm theoretically looking forward to in the second season because we see at the end of the last episode where she's starting to merge Japanese science with her magic and that is an exciting prospect for that character. Yeah, when you see her shooting that that one bolt there that is as strong as any of the mortars that the the military has, you're going, okay, like she's going to, she better be a force to be reckoned with. And the other thing too, with the exception of the getting her partially undressed for bed thing, she's a character that is not sexualized. Mm-hmm. She's fully clothed in her mage robes kind of things. She's not, she doesn't act coy with any of the, the other people and she, and they don't treat her like that either. And again, it's, it's a strong, intelligent character. So it shows that they can do that. Yeah. And they choose choose not to. They choose to. not to, exactly. So the um so they, they they go back and again they've got the the refugees now in with them. And this is where we come to that point of they don't want the refugees relying on them and the 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 it's Lalay who discovers that again they can go and collect all of the dragon scales and that the military doesn't want any of them and they're encouraging them to do their own trading to to be financially independent and live their own lives there, which then leads them to having to go to Italica to, to sell the scales. Now in between this is when you get the scenes with Pina Colada and talking to her father, Malt, and how he's so stereotypically evil that he's like <laughs> sending his own daughter to go investigate the military force that just took out the bulk of his army. So again, that was comically evil that I, I, I kind of kind of fits though, because you have the really? stereotypical fantasy world. Of course the emperor is going to be like, that. Nah, I would have preferred it if she had just been more defiant and gone 
because it would have fit the character mm-hmm. versus him telling her to go. Because she actually has an order. And this is where you get some of the back scenes that show her when she is young. And instead of being the prim and proper young princess kind of thing, she instead, when she's young, forms the order of the Ro- – is it White Rose or Rose? The Order of the Rose Knights. Yeah. And she has her friends that are also young girls, varying degrees of importance and stature kind of Not thing. Not all girls. Some of them are guys. Not initially. Not initially. The only yeah, one that's a guy is her – what is his name? Gray, I believe. I think at least one of the kids was a boy. Really? I didn't uh-huh. think so. Okay. And then, of course, as the order grows, like yeah, they, then they, they get the other out. ones. But, but, but I'm pretty sure at least one of the original ones was a was a boy. I'm gonna have to look at the screenshots again then and see those scenes. The um, but what's cool about this is that you have this young girl who's like, no, this is going to be a thing, and she's training them, and she gets this this man from from the her father's military is assigned to work with her. And I loved his thing of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm never going up any higher in stature in that army, so this is a good place for me. And he's taking it seriously. And that's the moment where where she's like, this is real then. We can we can actually do yeah. this. And and it grows from there. And I dug that. I seriously love that a lot. Mm-hmm. And and uh, also, once that's balanced against, you know, the fact that they're not being used as knights and her willingness to actually do something combined with the fact that once she actually does get out in the world and realizes what what's going on, like she's over her head, but she quickly, you know, gets herself together and steals up and does what's best. Like that character had a great arc over the sh- course of a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she is on her way to Alnus Hill to go and see what is going on and stops in Italica. Now in Italica, what has happened is that they're being overrun by bandits, many of whom were actually the empire's old army that the scragglers who got out without getting blown up initially joined the bandits. And now they're just attacking and they want to grow their own, essentially become their own empire and rule kind of as many of the, the towns as they can. But of course, it's by pillaging and raping and everything else. So they have this this battle and they actually hold them off for the time being, but they know that there's just going to be a lot more coming. It's going to be bad. And of course, Itami and his crew show up right then. What I liked here, again, to the credit of that character, she's not just thinking we need to fight them and that that mentality of fight 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 she's not just thinking of rolling over but it's the political aspect that it she's always got that in the back of her mind of okay we can't beat them maybe they can help us all these other things and she's rationalizing just how far she has to humiliate herself and bowing and making sure that they're happy and everything to get to so that she can save the, the, the Italica. And there were a lot of parts there that I really liked because again, it's, it, it was not just the military, not just like a military story, but also a political one at the same time. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, essentially putting them by themselves on the gate, yep. not knowing, you know, what their capabilities were. Like, yeah, she knows, you know, that the green people are, you know, fierce fighters, but you know, there's only six of them and eventually they're going to die. So like, that was such like a, an interesting move for that character too. Well, just to set them up to die. Mm-hmm. And like, she was just setting them up. They, as they were tools. To die. They, they yeah. weren't allies. Yeah. And which goes back again to 
the strength of the character to make really tough, not always correct, but really tough decisions for the good of her people. And again, and and it's not even her people at this point. Mm -hmm. She's just there helping them. And so you have a lot of really interesting moments there. And then, of course, like we just said earlier, that's also when it turns to shit because the bandits decide we're not going to the East Gate. We're going to go back to the front and hit them hard. And everybody's dying. It's horrible. They're also saying what they're going to be doing to everybody in there. And meanwhile, freaking Rory's having an orgasm against the wall. Not much more we can say about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we've been over this. So I, I don't want to go back. This is when Tommy, and and this is a credit again to the character as well, because he's not a military strategist, but he does, he, he is still smart under pressure and good under pressure. And you have this goofball that doesn't always follow the rules. And we see that throughout mm-hmm. these 12 episodes. And so finally it's like, no, let's go. And he takes... Uh, well, at this point, Rory's taken off. She's going into the into the fray, and he takes off with uh, a couple of people, including Shino, and they basically head into the fight. And that's when you have that epic freaking moment with Shino and, and Rory that, that would be an awesome freaking background screenshot. It was that <laughs> cool seeing those two back-to-back fighting kind of thing. But freaking Rory with her massive axe and the other one with her bayonet on the gun. It was like, holy crap. And then you get... At this point, Itami has actually called in for support. So you get helicopter units coming in, massive wave of helicopters coming in, just obliterating any forces that are left remaining. And that's when, again, that's really at that moment that that Pina realizes what she's up against, what they're up against if they choose to actually fight against the special defense forces and, and, that's when, again, you get that political aspect that you would get from someone born of an emperor or whatever. Okay, we need to be like signing treaties and working towards yeah, a peace Yeah, it's not so agreements. much, hey, they helped us, we should be friends. It's, nope. hey, if we don't become friends, they're going to wipe us off the map. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it works for the character brilliantly. So you get a lot of stuff going on here between – and you find out again that as per the norm, you know, Maybe it would be different if somebody else was leading this recon group, but because it's Tommy, it's like, well, we really don't want a lot. Just exempt these people from taxes and and mm-hmm. we're good. We'll head out. Everything's – the town is still yours. We're not taking it over. And I like that – I like that it's not just said like that, but you see the impact of everybody going, they're not taking over? Like, what's going on? <laughs> we're not used to this. <laughs> okay, this is great. And And all those little moments there that are – that reflects strongly on the characters that we're now growing attached to, despite the obvious flaws. Yeah, and it 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 sets the tone for all of the the negotiation storylines moving forward. That you know, at least Itami isn't interested in taking over this place. So it and that comes up later on, where you know he's kind of somewhat at odds with the Japanese leadership, and you know he's kind of on a short rope. Like they allow him to continue doing things his way because it works, but there's definitely a lot of higher ups behind the scenes that want different outcomes. Yeah, so they're returning to Alnus Hill now after they've done their their trading and whatnot, and they they encounter the Order of the Rose Knights. Everybody except for Pina, who hasn't gotten word to them that a treaty has been signed. (laughs) 
This was hysterical. And, and I liked it because, again, for the character of Atami, he's like, he's telling his forces who could have just opened fire and laid them all down. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, get out of here. I'll just surrender. They've got me. We'll talk it out. It'll be all right. Meanwhile, you have these fierce warriors that proceed to beat the ever-loving shit out of him as they take <laughs> him back to Italic. <laughs> and I loved the scenes with Pina when they first get there and she is <laughs> railing on them when she shoots her glass at her and she starts bleeding and it's, <laughs> and it's like she is pissed. But then they have to go that stupid route mm-hmm. of sleep with him to make it better. And I was like, fuck you guys. You had something there. It was, it was funny. It was believable. And it led to quirky little moments as well. I was even willing to put up with the goddamn maids. I didn't like it, but it was like, all right, fine. They, they didn't push too much of, okay, when do you want your sponge bath kind of stupidity? Mm. It was borderline and it was stupid, but it was like, okay, but that you have to sleep with if, them. If that had been the worst part of it, I'd have been fine. Exactly. Exactly. And that's when they start introducing the, the, the kick-ass maids. Yeah. The badass warrior bunny. <laughs> And I'm all right with that because it was funny. It was like, okay, well, she's going to kick some asses. All right. I'm all right with it. Of, of course, the, you know, the king or the lord would surround himself with, you know, these beautiful maids who could also be like his secret assassins. Like, I, I like that. Yeah, I, I, can, I can. Yeah. So, of course, she goes. Now, during this time, the recon group has decided they're going to go and rescue him. Enough of this shit. They're going to go rescue him. <laughs> and by the time they walk in the room, you saw this coming a mile away. He's <laughs> surrounded by all these cat and bunny women and all this stuff and being cared for. So, but it leads beautifully into that scene where they're all just sitting around shooting the breeze and having fun mm-hmm. and getting along and everybody's chatting. And so when she walks in in full negligee mode, again, that was one of those, not only was it stupid, but it was so poorly written that this mm-hmm. character would be so insulted that she's being ignored while she's standing there, her nighty with her tits hanging out that she would slap him on the face and, and, get into further trouble the further trouble aspect was hysterical <laughs> because you see being a going like oh for crying out loud <laughs> a little bit of maria hill there yes 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 and so like it's those little moments are beautifully written just hysterical and fun and whatnot but they come at the expense of fucking stupidity that pisses me off so at this point now, Pena decides that she and, and Boses, Bose, how are we going to say this? Boses. Boses? Think, yeah. Okay. Are going to head back to Alnus along with Itami and his crew to apologize in, in person. Now, while they're there, Itami actually has to head into Japan and he's going to be taking, he, he wants to take Lily to, to translate and Tuka as well. And of course, Rari invites herself, which I thought was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to go because they have to, they're going to be questioned by the chairwoman of the investigation committee on the events. That was, that was brilliant. Not just because it creates that moment where you're actually cheering for the crew that you've now come to know, but it was well-written because it came at a point that was needed in the store because if you live somewhere where an invading army just came and killed a lot of people that you care about, 
These three girls coming through would have been assassinated in seconds. Somebody would have taken them out. But, well, except for Rory. <laughs> she would have just laughed it <laughs> off. But the others, not so much. But they show the compassion and they show that these aren't the same people. It'd be the equivalent of the U.S. or uh, far more unlikely, but Canada goes through the portal, causes a whole bunch of havoc. You're not going to hold it against Japan kind of thing. So it's that kind of mentality. So it was well written so that when later on you see how much love that the Japanese people have for these characters, which is driven in large part because they're different and they fit that anime trope kind of thing. But also it's they see them as something different and exciting and not associated with the atrocities that just happened to them. So it, it, it sets something up so that later on it makes sense. And I, I, I thought that was really clever writing as well. I'm now imagining what's go, what would happen if this portal had opened in Canada. That is a hilarious anime. <laughs> it would be funny. <laughs> They'd start killing people. We'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Here's a Timbit and a coffee and <laughs> relax. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you get the, the investigation committee thing, which also had one of the best scenes in the entire freaking show when Rory is being questioned by this chairwoman mm-hmm. and that constant little girl, was it little girl or child? I think, or what? I think it was little girl. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's when you find out more about who she is, how old she is and the demigod and whatnot, but you have that obvious and you're waiting for it. Like this woman is going to be made an ass out of, and we're all right with that because she's being a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then the, the scene in the subway as well, because he's, again, this is where you're getting, he's a, he doesn't follow rules, but he thinks outside the box. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, let's just take him through the subways and, less people there. And then you have like, because you have other countries now, and this is where you get to the, the writers. I'm going to guess hatred of other countries kind of thing. Yeah, he, he doesn't think too highly of America, Russia, and China. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'll notice no Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> We're all right in his book. I don't know if that makes me feel good or not, but yeah. but yeah, everybody else is out to kidnap these girls as well and so he finally gives up and takes them to his ex-wife's house which again leads to fantastic scenes between everybody and the ex-wife and the ex-wife is freaking awesome <laughs> i love her she's, she's hilarious. freaking awesome but i like that it was written such a way too that it's it's not the traditional take on the exes Mm-hmm. where it's not pleasant and it's never fun and there's arguments and, and hostility and, and all that. And it's like, no, that's not what this is. They're still friends and it, and it works within the confines of the story really well and introduces a character that is a not sexualized in any way. She's just an awesome, freaking funny, quirky character that that is a writer as well. I love that. And can't afford to pay her bills and everything, but God damn it. She's still hanging in there and trying. And there were a lot of things with her that I really, really dug. Yeah. It, it, she was a great uh, new kind of voice to bring in, to bounce off all the other characters. Yeah. The only thing I did not like that I wish they wouldn't have done was once again, let's get back into the bathtub and saying that basically the only reason she got married to him was that he could keep her alive. Cause he was making decent money. And that was when I was like, ah, yeah. could have done better than that. She was doing really well here. 
there could have been some affection that it was, yeah, it was also a marriage of convenience, but they still cared for each other. But how it's presented was not that. How it's presented is much more of a, I told him that even as long as he kept me alive, we could be married. And I was like, okay. So, and then again, military strategist that he is decides, let's just go into the most crowded places there are because he still wants to go to that otaku <laughs> fair that's going on. The thing is, is that it led to great moments, not just with the, the, the shopping, which luckily they didn't overdo that either. I was expecting mm-hmm. full on freaking, let's hit Victoria's Secret lingerie kind let's of thing. go buy thing. Ba- you know, bathing suits. Yeah, and- exactly. No, they actually buy Rory a dress that covers her up. And so, and the, the outfit that, that Tuka gets, it's, it's more revealing than what she had on, but no less revealing than when, when she was just walking around with a freaking mm-hmm. blanket on her. And it was sexy without being, you know, yeah, it, stupid. It, it was it was fun. Exactly. It was it was cool. And then you get Pina and Moses who are wicked oh out God, on the the boy love. <laughs> which I thought I actually had to pause when I was watching it and I paused and I go, what the hell are they looking at? That looked I like it was that, that became like a recurring It did. Point. I love it. <laughs> because it's when you find out at the end that they're also using that manga to to send information back and forth through the portal through Itami that's giving information about his various exploits and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's like one of those obvious things that, yeah, she's kind of into it, but also you know that Itami would not be leafing through this <laughs> at any point. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I know that if that was on my desk, I'm not going to be leafing through a story about two Clearly dudes. Itami's and- interests lie in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And so so it fits perfect, but I love that these girls love it and that it's art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when they go to the library. <laughs> so so yeah, so now there's a lot more pressure on them and they go yet to another hot bath place and that's when you get a lot more of the political backstabbing and blackmail. Your president is blackmailing the, the prime minister of Japan. Listen, I didn't vote for nameless anime president. <laughs> Not your shield. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then you have all of these other forces, the U.S., China, Russia, converging to try to kidnap them. Although there's enough fire power going on there bullets flying all over that that is not a good abduction <laughs> it's more about <laughs> killing them at this point and um and rory just goes on full battle mode mode this is occurring also at the same time as another of my uh, mm-hmm. piss me off scene of where she's trying to seduce him and and it gets to the point where it would have happened kind of thing. I don't care that it's an anime and the could have happened is, you know, it's never going to. It's close enough that it's like, nope, not only is that creepy, it's just wrong. Take it the fuck out of there. And then she proceeds to take him out. You find out a little bit more about her too in terms of the fact that she can't die because it's kind of said before, but you never see her get Mm -hmm. hurt. You just assume she's so bloody fast and good with that axe that Nobody can touch her, but no, she's at one point standing there and, and bullets are just being expelled from her body and she's healing up and she's saying, oh, she can't die. And it's like, oh, you are not, you can not be hurt, but take damage essentially kind of thing 
from a gaming perspective. And it was kind of a, it was an She's interesting Wolverine. moment. What's that? She's Wolverine. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Basically, yeah. 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 For, and, for those keeping track at home, she's Wolverine. Yeah. Without the claws. She just has a big, big, big battle axe. <laughs> and I got to say, at moments, cooler than Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> she, she really is. <laughs> so then the next day they go, and this was a nice moment too, where they actually pay their respects at the Ginza Memorial. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that, again, showed a lot of class. Meanwhile, they've actually, again, his Tommy's ex-wife has reached out on her freaking social network to tell people where they were going to be to create the biggest crowd there to keep them safe. What I was kind of hoping for was that through that network, you'd have a bunch of people showing up in cosplay. Oh, yeah. So that the CIA couldn't tell which ones were the real ones. That would have been hysterical. <laughs> I, I thought for sure that's where that scene was going. That would have been funnier than hell. Yeah. So. Because you know. Oh, yeah. There's some there. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> I know that there's there's probably people doing it right now. Oh, <laughs> As we talk, it. somewhere in Japan, someone is dressed up as one of these characters <laughs> or is sewing frantically. And there's a 50% chance it's actually a guy. Yeah. <laughs> You so, know, there's some 35-year-old Japanese man with a Rory costume. Yeah. But he only takes it out on special occasions <laughs> or when he wants to feel pretty. No, he goes to eat ramen in. <laughs> so they go through the gate. Before they go through the gate, there's a massive show of support from the crowd who are cheering and all that. Which, again, had it not been for the scenes where you get to see that they're not associated with the military might and things like that, would have been clearly unbelievable. But because of how it was done, you really are like, yep, I buy this. They they, mm-hmm. they would be cheering for them. And then they go through. It jumps ahead. I like how the, the, the jump, the skips forward work as well. They're, they're at good points and they really show the passage of time as well. Because we're jumping ahead five months now. And all of a sudden, Alnus is no longer just a refugee camp. It's a freaking town now. Because nearing towns of figured out that, hey, these guys will keep us safe within reason, and it's a good place to be. There's a lot of trading and bartering going on between both worlds, so it makes sense to put it there. And so you have this place that is getting bigger and bigger, and there's problems associated with that. And then you see a lot more of the political stuff going on with Pina Colada and how she's now working with an actual ambassador for Japan and how they're working with different members of the empire to get their support for peace versus war and things like that. And that rise to power for Pina Colada as well. So it's doing a good job of propelling this character forward in not just a believable way, but a badass way as well, that she's going to be a powerful force, not just to work with, with Tommy and, and those people, but potentially anybody that goes against them, which would be her father as well. Right. Uh, and the thing I like about the time skips here, because we see this all the time in other shows, comics, movies, whatever, any type, type of media, they'll always do this time skip. And then we get to this point in the future where everything's different and they spend a couple episodes or whatever, in, you know, showing us what happened during the time skip. Well, what was the point of the time skip? Whereas here they gloss over, you know, the unimportant stuff of just, OK, a town was built. Nothing that they can't catch us up on in a minute of exposition just to get to the next important plot point for the story and for the characters. So yeah, the time skips were very expertly handled here. Well, they do the same thing with the translations. 
the the the, the translations you don't actually hear them translating mm-hmm. not that they would be speaking in another language cuz you wouldn't be able to tell but they're n- they're not repeating the same thing again it's like yeah. okay you're going to pick up on this that she's not saying anything but the person understood because she translated kind of off scene yeah, kind of thing. just every once in a while they'll have lele turn to somebody that that's what he said yeah <laughs> the the um yeah the the only thing that i i and i know that it's strictly monetarily based I would love it if in these type of situations you actually had the people from the other country speaking their language. So record somebody who speaks Mm -hmm. that language and then have the Japanese translation and English translation underneath kind of thing so that it's far more believable. When you're seeing the U.S. president talking to his special forces and they're talking Japanese, it makes no bloody sense at all. And I know, again, it's, it's all based on money, but it'd be nice if they could hire I mean, when you look at how open the world is now for being able to get recordings of people doing various things, I mean, look at us. We're doing it. We're yahoos with freaking headphones and mics. So, Hey, Japan, if you want some English voice actors yeah. for your anime. Dude, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> you want English or French? I'm your man. <laughs> okay, email me. I would love that. But, uh, but yeah, I would really like it if they did more of that. Then it skips into the story with the Dark Elf, Yao. Now, Yao's, it's established later on that that same fire dragon is now terrorizing her clan. And she was sent off to try to recruit the green people so that they could help defeat the dragon for them and so that her clan can survive. And she basically has this massive stone that's worth a small fortune that she's willing to trade along with her body, which, again, we've established. If if the 15-pound diamond isn't enough, you know... (laughs) Let's throw a little extra on top. Yeah. Like, really? We got some TNA for you as well. No, no, not some. That was not some. Yeah. So there were like the scene when she first gets there and Itami is at the bar with Rory <laughs> and she's like, you're getting a child drunk and Rory plays it off because she knows oh she's not God. getting any action. Cute and funny. I can go with this. You're, yes. you're you're having fun with this kind of thing. Again, if that was the worst we had seen, yeah, then no problem. I'd be all right with it. And but then you see her that final episode, which if you have not seen it yet because it hasn't been released for free yet, well, skip ahead or whatever. But we're going to talk about it. Not that there's that much to talk on, just enough to bitch about because <laughs> the final scene is her trying to recruit. The, 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 the Japanese force to help her and she's basically getting assaulted by everyone she talks to of course she fights back but then she's accused of mugging them and you have that whole stupid thing to their credit they at least didn't play it off for too long kind of thing mm-hmm. and then you get the scene it, it of, just seemed like unnecessary not, it did. not just it in did. the okay of course everybody's going to try and assault the woman unnecessary but it it would seem like a really convoluted way to move the plot forward. It w- it didn't belong there. Yeah. Honestly, it, it should have been on the cutting room floor. It really should have because it did nothing to propel the story forward. It, all they did was use that as an excuse for then her to be arrested and, and detained. So, again, stupidity for the sake of stupidity. For, for a show that's really been, so, like we said at the beginning, very fluid in its storytelling, that just seemed like a really inelegant way to... To get that character where she needed to be to meet Lele, yeah. basically. Yeah. And and you also had – it was almost – I didn't look at the writing credits, but it was almost as if somebody else had written it as well because there's moments that are like, 
how does this, what's the point of this? Because you get a lot more of the bunny maid who's now running a bar. And I think that was a different bunny. Was it really? I thought it was the same one. I think we can guess that there's more than one bunny in the world. <laughs> this is true because she's got bunny staff as well and cat staff and whatever else. So, but you, you're getting these moments where it's like, what was the point of that? Really, it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me with this being the last episode of the season that they were kind of running up against crunch and had to throw a couple extra writers in the room or something. It's, it's possible. Not, it's not a defense, but it's a possible explanation. Yeah. The only thing that made sense was that when she goes to ask for help, well, she's talking to a general now who is thinking in terms of strategies and in relations to the various people that they've signed treaties with and whatnot. So when she's saying, just come and help, he's looking at the map saying, no, we'd have to cross into this kingdom. Mm -hmm. That would be an act of war if we're taking, because he understands that it still takes a lot to take this thing down. So it would be seen as an act of war. And we just can't do that. I love how they even explained exactly the amount of force it would take. Yeah. To, to put down the dragon. Like, yeah. It wasn't just, oh, no, we can't. Do, like, they actually, like, and it was kind of, and again, it was handled in a good way. It was just, like, some soldiers talking, you know, a, a, aside from the regular plot advancement. I, I, again, that was another really good small scene that really had a lot of impact. And it tied right back to Itami because the, the episode is even called What Would Itami Do? And you get a lot of that. And even get that on a T-shirt. Yeah, really. Even the... Um, Dude, I would wear that. <laughs> Even though I hate so much of this show, I think I would actually wear that. But uh, but yeah, you have a time back to what is actually important with this show and who the people are that you can trust and rely on. And the ones that are the true people of Japan, not the military, not the government. Because Itami always comes off as just a regular dude mm-hmm. who's into anime and manga and stuff like that. And so... W- and and who is still can be a badass. So when they they tie it all back, and even the the some of the the military are going, oh, Tommy might help her, and, mm-hmm. and like we'll just keep out of it, pretend we don't know what's going on, but we know it'll be resolved. And that's how it ends with them heading off. So presumably January is going to be them fighting off this this dragon, and who knows whatever other troubles there'll be in. I haven't read the books or the manga, so I have no idea what they're going to be doing. There's one thing I want out of the future of this show, and that's to meet another uh, demigoddess of Amloy, or a demigod. Yeah. And I want that guy to be dressed like Rory. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's not going to happen, but I want that. (laughs) It still wouldn't make it right, saying let's sexualize a boy versus a girl. Make it a full-grown man. It doesn't have to be a boy. Oh, yeah. He got his godhood later on in life. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Actually, make it really later on in life. Make him an old, <laughs> old, fat, hairy guy and put him in the same costume. <laughs> then we'll be square. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe not entirely, but I'll, I'll get a good laugh out of it. So that's the show. Like I said, it had so many good elements. It had very strong writing in some regards. Fantastic battle scenes with consequence and in spite of the fact that it's about a fantasy clash against a modern military it comes off as believable in many circumstances were it not for the fact that it falls into not just some bad story elements 
but some point blank horrific ones as well. And for me personally, that's what's going to be preventing me from watching the second season. When it comes out, if somebody says, hey, they actually done away with a bunch of that stupidity and it's actually really okay I'll check it out but I highly doubt that will happen because of the fact that it's being based on existing stories that are already in there and this is something that we come to with a lot of modern anime like I said Attack on Titan is the exception not the rule you have shows like this or like Sword Art Online that do so much right but the things they do wrong are so troubling that you're not sure. And it's – you have to balance. Like do I want to power through the bad crap to see the good stuff? Like and I'll – again, Kill the Kill. I loved a lot of stuff Kill the Kill was doing as like you know an anime itself and the story and the characters. But the bad stuff was so bad that I could not enjoy the good stuff anymore. So I think it's Sword Art Online. The bad stuff was bad but – I was able to get through it and really enjoy the good stuff. This one, I'm still on the fence on. I, I don't know. Yeah, see, the the Sword Art Online we've talked about as well, and and there's a lot of aspects that I adore, adore mm-hmm. about that 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 series. But the perpetual rape culture that you mm-hmm. see throughout, and and the misogynistic attitudes in that are above and beyond. I mean, when you're caging a girl for a large portion of the second season. It goes above and beyond what's acceptable. And and then you get this where it's the sexualization of children. Like these aren't just your normal, average, stupid bullshit that you get in anime that is like, oh, for Christ's sake. Exactly. We've seen enough of the average stupid bullshit yeah. that we can just pass it off. There was one that I watched and now, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember what it is. But as I'm talking, I'm going to be looking and see if I can find it. There was another one that I watched not that long ago. And it was one of those where the stories were a ton of fun and I was really seriously digging it. And and it, But it suffered the same thing where you had just this stupid bullshit with the the way that it treated some of its female characters but um but i stuck with it just because uh, it was a kami ga kill mm-hmm. and i stuck with it because in addition to some of the quite obvious blatant misogynistic stupidity the the female characters were still really strong badass women like really strong characters and some flirtatious and, and, and silly, but I'm all right with that as long as it's not, you know, being blatantly insulting. And there was some, but it was worth it for the rest. And it's like, I watched through the entire season, 24 episodes, and I enjoyed a lot of it. Some of it I groaned and went, oh, for fuck's sakes. But there was a lot that I loved. I thought it was a ton of fun. So you can do that. <laughs> Just don't cross certain lines, people. Just Smarten the fuck up. <laughs> that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for listening. You can get the show notes at popcornronin.com and you can find us on Twitter, myself at Zen Buddhist and Vince's at Simodian. I know that we were supposed to be recording our Fast and Furious episode this week. However, our guests could not make it. One of them was working late and the other one is actually heading out of town on holidays in your neck of the woods next week. Are you guys actually yeah. going to get together? 
Yeah, I'm going to try and drive up because it's uh, it's only a couple hours out of That's way. awesome. That is awesome. So we're actually going to be recording our Fast and Furious episode in two weeks. Well, a week and a half now. So that's going to be a ton of fun because I've been prepping for that. I was ready. I was, <laughs> I'd was i watched them all again and I was good to go. And I know that Joe and Tart also had been re-watching them and were interested in, in having some fun discussion. So we will be doing that in a couple of weeks. Until then, enjoy the episode. Let us know what you thought about this series, and we'll talk to you then. For more TV, movie, and anime reviews, please make certain to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. <laughs>